Joe Chung joins me for a September 2021 Disney World trip report on episode five of Checking In with Robert Dwyer on the Milenomics Podcast Network. I am here today with Joe Chung. You probably know him from Saverocity Observation Deck. You know him from Miles to Memories, Disney Deciphered, and also a Disney travel agent. Joe, good to chat with you again. It's been a while. Yeah, I've missed you. We uh, just uh, hold out a few more months, and I think we need to hang out in person. I think so. You know, I, <laughs> I we would probably hear each other in each other's ears a lot, but we don't get a chance to talk back to each other. So this is a little bit of an opportunity, and also an opportunity for me to talk to you about my Disney trip. Just got back from Disney, and you're doing Sam a great service by listening to me chat about the nuts and bolts and deep details of Disney that uh, Disney geeks like us can only appreciate. So uh, are you ready to get into it? Yes, and uh, you're welcome, Sam. Uh, please send my check in the mail. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll shoot you my address. But yeah, I'm sure that we're sparing Sam and also whichever of your listeners have tuned out due to the title, uh, you know, we've we spared them the pain of having to listen to us gush about Disney as as a couple of middle-aged adults. <laughs> I do tend to gloss over the Disney details. Yeah, the parks were fine, but this is an indulgence, a little bit of a chance. We're going to put this up on the the public Milenomics feed, the no annual fee version, so everyone can listen to it and maybe reach a little bit of more of a, a broad audience there than, than the hardcore points and miles types. But um, yeah, I, I feel like with COVID, we're in this living with COVID phase. You know, it's not, uh, we got the vaccines out there now. And, uh, you know, some of us have kids that are old enough to get vaccinated. I know it's probably a big thing. Maybe let's start there. Uh, you know, if you've got kids under 12, they're not going to be able to get vaccinated. Maybe you're not so concerned about them getting sick, but other people in the family and, and uh, older relatives and things like that. Is that playing in for you personally uh, and your considerations on and when to go back to the parks? Yeah, I can speak to that personally uh, with a personal anecdote we were planning to go in the middle of august with my in-laws and also my sister-in-law and her kids um, and all of our kids so that would have been five kids total six adults and all of those kids are under the age of 12 and so not able to be vaccinated yet we were honestly fine we booked the trip back in the fall and even through june as delta was starting to start to be a thing we were still fine but then disney suddenly like dropped their indoor mask requirements Mm -hmm. and said that you know they said essentially if you're vaccinated you don't need to wear a mask indoors but it was not enforced at all there were tons of little kids running around inside um, without their masks on and that was a real disappointment for me frankly because i thought you know only requiring masks on indoors it's in florida where the ac is always turned up to 11 i thought that was a great compromise um but they took it away so we ended up canceling the trip of course they brought the rule back as uh you know when you were there just recently you guys were wearing masks indoors but that was gone and i think if it had just been my family we would have considered still going but with it just being such an extended family um you know grandparents were involved although the grandparents frankly are the ones who are least worried um it's just you know no one's worried about their kids dying or anything at least in my family but if the kids don't have to get it before they get the vaccine why let them get covid that's uh, kind of my philosophy Oh, that's interesting, too. You know, when we talk about COVID restrictions, everybody has a different idea of what they'd like to see in terms of COVID restrictions in place. You know, I think of it sometimes as 
a COVID restriction is something that could diminish my trip if the restriction is the restaurants are closed. But in your case, it sounds like uh, having indoor mask requirements is actually something that makes you more comfortable going on the trip. So it's it's tricky to get it right for everybody. You know, some people, and I think I said this at the beginning, like, oh, I'm going to wait to go back to Disney until, you know, I have to go wear masks in the middle of summer. I mean, 90 degrees out there, standing in line for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway just to try the ride for the first time. I'm not going to lie. It was hot. It was really uncomfortable wearing a mask standing there for 30 minutes outside. So it's hard, I would think, on Disney's part, uh, not just in terms of, you know, striking that right balance for all the all the guests, but also uh, ramping up and down staffing levels, especially in the restaurants, as we'll talk about today. It's, you know, it's not it's not no trivial thing. And I could see why they're doing things like park reservations to gauge how many people are going to be places. And, you know, I, I want to give them some leeway. But at the same time, you know, they're they're keeping their prices sky high and seemingly, seemingly going higher every every time I check about the news or something. So definitely a lot to talk about. You've been covering it on Disney Deciphered, I know, each week. I mean, in a sense, maybe you thought you, you would finish describing all the things there were in Walt Disney World and, and Disneyland, and now you have to rewrite the book every week. Is that the way it's been going over there? Yeah. Uh, Leslie and I, we had a retirement plan ready. We were <laughs> we were ready to file for retirement, and then all this happened. So, you know, uh, silver lining in every cloud. But yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. I really feel like, and I've kind of been saying this for a while now, Disney is just a microcosm of the travel industry in general. And really, it's just a microcosm of the economy in general, because everything you're saying, you know, ramping up and down, staffing levels, kind of deciding what restrictions are the best middle ground. And I am, I like to believe a reasonable person, I do feel like the restrictions or the guidance should be some sort of middle ground. I don't think, uh, especially at this point where 65% or whatever of the population is vaccinated, like I don't think we need to go too hard on either way. So it's it's been funny looking at Disney because the kind of conversations that people in the Disney community are having are just a reflection of the conversations that everyone is having uh, around at least this country. And especially with the travel industry, you know, that staffing thing that you mentioned, I was just talking to a coworker who went to brunch uh, at this place that I had been to um, a while ago, or Aquitaine. Bob, mm-hmm. uh, you probably know. It's, I like that restaurant. It's an excellent restaurant. Yeah. And she said, though, that the service was so bad, there was one poor server who had like a whole entire section of tables and he had to deal with the whole thing. She said the service was so bad that people left. She ended up staying because she had, you know, her kid was somewhere else. So she had plenty of time. And so, but it's just funny that, you know, we're seeing this everywhere. And at Disney World, where a lot of people have a lot of money kind of riding on the joy of their vacation, uh, it kind of, it feels even more painful because it's not just a brunch. It's like a thousand dollar vacation, thousands of dollars in vacation. You're not kidding. I loaded up a, a gift card with some uh, incentive things I had from work and some other gift cards clanging around. And I loaded up with $850. And I was like, oh, this is going to handle all my dining when I <laughs> we went down there. It was a, a two, that's two, cute. two that's park cute, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. <laughs> the, I think day two, it was completely depleted. It was so saddening. So back down to earth. I'd forgotten. I think our kids, and this is part of uh, you know the COVID frustration. Your kids have grown up so much during this. I, I bet it's even magnified with kids your your guys' age being a little bit younger than ours. You know, my kids are fourteen and sixteen now, and they eat like absolutely like adults, and then some. <laughs> you know, so I was like, oh my goodness, this is the most expensive meal I've ever had in my life. But uh, in, in in I mentioned you're a Disney travel agent. I'd like to get into that a little bit if you, if you're if you're open for it. But um, in in helping people plan their vacations, do you have a sense for the style of vacation they're looking for? You know, Sam asked me, you know, what's new? What do you look 
looking forward to seeing there. And I'm like, I just want it to be like the old Disney. This is a return to comfort trip. I want the menus to be the same. I want the rides to be the same. I want nothing different. What's the sense from people that you've worked with and people you've talked to in the community? Are they looking to get back to normal or are they excited about new things in the Disney world? Well, it's really funny that you say that because as you say that, I'm thinking, I want to say that there's like a split in the in my clients, uh, the first thing I would say is that most people who use me as their travel agent, they are people who listen to a Disney podcast. So there's a certain level of familiarity and planning that most people already have. You know, it's not like someone random who doesn't know anything about Disney World uh, messages me. That being said, I would say that, you know, some of my clients are like us. They want to go back to the Disney World because it's uh, a place that they think of very fondly and as much as possible want to see things to feel or feel things really is the proper verb to feel things are the way that they used to be almost i don't know in a weird way i don't know when you got back there bob like i i went a couple times in the spring i really in some ways it felt like it was like a return to normalcy it was, it was almost like i don't know not that the pandemic was over or anything but it was just kind of like a nice look back into what things used to be like. I don't know if you felt that at all. Uh, no, it 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 does. It felt good. And it would be sad, actually, to see. We, we said this before, with this, the pandemic even really hit. Like, if you could go to a Disney park and there would be nobody in the park, is that something that you'd be very excited about? And on one hand, sure, it'd be nice to be able to walk on all the rides. But on the other hand, the, these are uh, common experiences. And I do appreciate them more when there are other people, they're appreciating them. I'll give you a great example. We were at uh, California Grill and the fireworks were going off and people were honestly like, this is awesome. We're watching these fireworks from such a great, comfortable restaurant here. The music fidelity is incredible. These fireworks are huge. I can't believe how big they look from up here. I'm going to clap for no reason other than to express that I'm appreciating this. And if you watched that on YouTube, there'd be no reason to clap. Right. There's no there, there is a, a, a joy that is had in in group experiences. And that's why people like to go to concerts. I think if if you had your favorite band and they would perform a concert for just you and your wife, that sounds neat. But at the same time, you want to see how that performance is is causing the uh, a crowd to react. And I think that is part of the joy. You want to have the right amount of crowd, though. So it's always a balancing act. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think shared experience is the is a great term for it. And really, the energy that is there, especially, you know, from kids, whether it's my kids or just any kids, you know, kids get super excited when they're at Disney World. So I, I, I agree with you that, you know, that shared experience is great. And so, yes, a bunch of my clients are looking for that. And most of them who have returned have really enjoyed it. You know, there's always quibbles to be had. I know you had quibbles with your trip. None of these trips are perfect. Um, number one mistake of a Disney vacation is expecting it's going to meet your expectations. You know, you have to lower your expectations before you go. Um, so that's a bunch of my clients. But then I also get a lot of clients who, because of the pandemic, and I know without even having talked to you about it, that you have a list of places that you want to go when this thing is well and truly over. And a lot of my clients, you know, have that similar list, but Disney World's at the top of their list. So they're uh, contacting me to be like, this is going to be my first time or my first time in like a decade, but I really want to go back. And, you know, this pandemic has really made me miss or realize the value of traveling. And one of the places I want to travel is Disney World, which I know is 
I'm sorry to offend you, Sam, if you're listening to this, but you know, that's, that's how some people feel. So that that's some of my clients as well. And, you know, I'm always happy, you know, those are the ones who need a little bit more advice and I'm always happy to help them with that. Right. And that makes sense, right? People don't just stumble in out out of thin air and say, Oh yeah, what's this place? Disney world. Could you completely orient me on it? It's like, I haven't been in a decade. I want, I want contemporary advice that is, is matching what's going on there right now. And I think I was talking to uh, my sister about uh, maybe going out to Disneyland and we're trying to decide whether to book club level at the the Disneyland hotel. And I wrote a post for Robin and Lux Recess. I mean, if you Google is club level worth it at Disneyland hotel, I come upon my article and and I read it. I'm like, I want to hear somebody else's opinion. But specifically, I want to hear somebody else's opinion since COVID, right? All this stuff is so different since COVID. So it's like every review from before COVID is out the window now because everything is different right now. And maybe let's start with the the fast pass going away. There being no fast pass right now, as far as I know. And then they're they're coming back with Genie Plus and Lightning Lane and all this. What uh, was trip planning down to fast pass level? Was that something you were doing for clients? And either way, Way, what do you think about the current situation right now where it's back to the really olden days where everybody just comes into the park at mostly on an equal footing, just depending on how early you get there? Theoretically, I was supposed to help clients book fast passes, but you know, the running joke is I officially became a travel agent in February 2020, you know, worst timing in history. So fast pass has not existed um, since I've been a travel agent. However, you know, I am available to advise clients on Genie Plus and things like that. Now, I will say just a bit of uh, inside baseball. The travel agent community was really worried when Genie Plus was announced that Genie Plus would somehow, I guess, obviate travel agents. And like you're saying, people are going to be on the same playing field. Just, Just so you know, Genie Plus is basically you pay for something and then on your app, you know, you're kind of choosing fast passes. You're kind of choosing what rides to go on and that should be minimizing your wait time. However... Disney made the system so complicated that once the system came out, all the travel agents who were worried that Genie Plus was going to lose them business were like, oh, people are going to have to come to us now because, you know, you it's like you need to write a dissertation to understand all the different options that there are. <laughs> um, so, you know, I wasn't too worried about it, but in the end, it is a complicated system. It's people were still confused by the fast pass system. <laughs> Decades in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which was a relatively simple system compared to, um, I think Len Testa pointed out that there's essentially seven different line waiting systems <laughs> in Disney world right now, which I mean, just saying that out loud, like you think, uh, Remembering which Amex transfer bonuses are active is hard. You know, to try, try to try to get a place in line at Disney World. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe we should re- review just quickly what it is for people who are on, on the fringe and not following stuff on a day-to-day basis. Um, as I understand it, there's going to be no more reservations needed that are possible to be made before the day of arrival. Is that correct? Yeah, so it used to be that before you were going to a Disney park, and this is in Florida, Disney World, not Disneyland. Disneyland has a another totally different set of rules that's like booking with a partner airline um as an analogy <laughs> great analogy yeah. i like it thank you so uh before like 30 days before your trip or 60 days if you were staying at an on-site disney hotel you would were able to say oh i want to go on these three rides and you would get times to like go visit those rides and that was what the old fast pass system was called now that is gone like you do not decide 
a month in advance or two months in advance what rides you want to go on. You do need to decide which park you want to visit. There are four Disney parks, Magic Kingdom, which is the castle, which everyone knows, Epcot, which is for the nerds like me, Hollywood Studios, which is all the Star Wars stuff, and Animal Kingdom, not a zoo. Um, (laughs) So you have to choose which of those four you want to go to. But after that, it's not until the morning of that if you pay extra for this Genie Plus thing, you can start saying like, oh, I want to go on It's a Small World at 9 a.m. And then, you know, when you show up at 9 a.m. at It's a Small World, you get to go through the fast pass. They're called lightning lanes now, but you get to kind of cut the line. So it's a lot more. It's it's weird because people are like, oh, people who love planning Disney, they're not going to they're not going to have the joy of planning their trips anymore, which is sort of true. But it's if you were the type of person who would like to plan it. 30 to 60 days in advance, you're no longer going to have that joy. But if you're like the person, if you're the type of person who likes to plan it like on the fly on the day of, well, you're still going to get to do that. But I, it is, it's not great. I don't think, I mean, I'm fine with the system, but having to be up at 7 a.m. every day on vacation to kind of ensure you get the rides that you want to get, not ideal in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you're right. Um in, in planning this vacation and what we have right now, you do need to make a a park reservation each day and that was a bit of a change for me because before you just need to make your fast passes, but you weren't necessarily committing to your first park of the day. So that was a new thing for me and really needing to have ticket medium uh is ahead of time was was new to me. So that kind of forced some transactions to occur earlier than usual, especially with like a Florida pass, a Florida resident pass for the kids and you wanted to book that and then you have to validate it when you get there. Uh it was plenty complex, but and and then beyond that, the only reservations I made were, were for dining and not having to do all those fast pass reservations ahead of time. I I think I liked that, you know, and what, what can especially happen is where you have people coming and going from your travel party, you know, hangers on, you know, people who might or might not come. And you can't make reservations for 12 people at some restaurants or for it's hard to get that for a lot of people. So you can't, you know, build the church for Easter Sunday. You, you need to come up with a pretty good idea of what the people in your group are going to be. And being absolved of having to do that for FastPass, I think, was pretty nice. But it's just the calm before the storm here before Genie Plus comes back. When do you hear that it's coming that that is going to become available? I'm kind of expecting it will happen any week now. I would really I would say that the correct over under if you were betting would be October 1st, which is when Disney World's 50th anniversary celebration starts. But I would probably put more money on the under just because I think they're going to want to have the system tested out a little bit before the actual anniversary celebration. Wow. I think one reason why in the Disney community and those of you who are listening who are part of the Disney community um, probably understand this. I think why they're so up in arms about Genie Plus, well, I think there's two reasons. The first reason is because it has become abundantly clear that the stock ticker for Disney is DIS. And, you know, it's just a reminder that companies are trying to make money. And I will say, just like I said, it's a microcosm of what everything that's going on in the economy. It's just similar to things like American Airlines. You know, it was pretty big news that they changed their conditions of carriage so that, you know, now um, the greatest airline in the country slash sarcasm, <laughs> you know, like if 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 your flight gets canceled, they don't, they're not even going to help you find a flight to get there. You're on your own <laughs> to get there. It's just uh, I, I know this is an audio podcast, but I'm giving a sarcastic OK sign to uh, American <laughs> Airlines right now. But every company is trying to because they've lost so much money in the pandemic, they're trying to um, increase their profits. And so a reason that I think is perfectly valid to be frustrated with this Genie Plus thing is 
it is a very cynical move, especially when you look into it as to like who's going to end up buying it. Disney's going to make a lot of money off of this. And so I understand why people are upset about that. The other reason why I think people are upset, um, and this isn't like in maybe in an angry way, but just kind of like in a disappointed way, is that, like you said, it really levels the playing field. And so the advantages that people used to have by kind of understanding how to maximize the facts the fast pass system they're just not going to be there as much anymore and so i think i think that's why people are frustrated um but that being said things change and if i'm being objective i do think that more families are going to get to go on more rides with this if disney implements it correctly which is a big if because of disney and technology um they can be terrible with it i don't know if my family will get to ride as many rides as we used to but i think overall like, I think people are going to have a better experience, but it's just people who know the system aren't. Um, and I think that's why, you know, in Disney communities that know the system, know how to hack it. You know, it's the same reason why we get frustrated when airlines devalue their miles, because it probably works out better for other people who didn't know how to use their miles. But us who get all the maximum value out of it, you know, we lose the value. Yeah, right. Where a partner award goes from being bookable only over the phone to being readily uh, discoverable. That's a really good analogy. That's a too. perfect yeah. example. Yeah. American yeah. Airlines again. <laughs> We're talking about them far too much given the, their transgressions in the past. Uh, the one thing I think that is probably makes people's blood boil the most, their long time, you know, every, everyone on equal footing is where you've got the lightning lane that can be purchased a la carte for marquee attractions like Rise of the Resistance. Uh, if, if you had to get, and, and so this is something that is my understanding is you have to buy Genie Plus. And then you have to buy a specific lightning lane for those marquee attractions. And that sounds very similar. I rented a Jungle Cruise with the family recently, and I had to re-up my Disney Plus subscription so that I could pay whatever it was, $24.95 to, to rent the, the, for the privilege of being able to rent the movie. This sounds very similar. I'd have to buy Genie Plus and I'd have to buy Rise of the Resistance on top of it. First of all, you should have just rented a theater for $100, like an entire theater. <laughs> I'm going to have it completely wrong. You, you, probably, you probably would have enjoyed the experience more. Uh, it's not as bad as you say. So you do not. So Genie Plus is going to be $15 a day. And that gives you kind of um, hour by hour access to shorter lines. However, there are marquee attractions like Rise of the Resistance, which um, if you have not read about it, if you are not a Disney fan, but you're a Star Wars fan, it is like you are in the middle of a Star Wars movie. So it's very cool. Um, but attractions like that, Flight of Passage at Animal Kingdom, they are going to be what's called individual attraction selection. Lightning Lane, this is why it's so complicated. Bob, you know your Disney stuff, but even you are confused by all their nonsense. Um, the bottom line is Genie Plus and these individual purchases are separate. So oh, you do not good. have to pay the $15 and pay the whatever. I'm I'm afraid is going to be like $25 per person well, on that's a, a let, busy let's, day. Let, we, I know we like to bet and you've usually gotten these uh, right up in, in our, our bets that we've made them we've never paid off on. I'm, I'm sure you're far ahead. Let's say, well, I know the prices are going to be variable. That's another thing too. You know, it'll be surge pricing like Uber, right? On like, and for example, you should say right now I, I, I on weekdays, weights are very, very low. They spiked up over the weekend. We did experience some long waits, especially in the afternoons you expect on Labor Day weekend. But uh, what would you say is going to be the price for an a la carte rise of, of the resistance? I would put the over-under uh, as $34.95. And I, that's higher than I've heard a lot of people say. So what would you say that ride goes for, uh, you know, typical, uh, if, if there's a typical number for that? Whew, that's pretty high. Um, I was going to say $25. Okay. You take the under uh, then. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take the under. I'll take the under on, like, let's just throw out days like Christmas, Labor Day, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
but it is but if you like kind of say it out loud it is a little bit crazy let's just let's just say it's even $20 for your family. It's $80 for you to go on one attraction. Um, and for my family, it's a hundred dollars. And so I, I sometimes don't know how to think about these things because that does seem crazy at the same time, you know, both of us have taken, uh, our families in various configurations to see Hamilton. Right. And Hamilton is, you know, $250 for two hours or three hours or whatever. So I, I don't, I don't quite know how to rate the value of these things. I will say as someone who has ridden rise of the resistance, I'm probably, and I should also say there's still a way to get on it for free. You Good don't point. have to pay to do it. You can um, wake up 7am and get what's called a virtual queue spot, a boarding group. So it's not like you have to pay to do it. Um, but if you miss out on that boarding group, uh, you can pay to do it. So I, I don't know how I feel well, I mean, I know that I don't like that Disney is charging for it, but at the same time, there's there's no apologizing for Disney. They're <laughs> trying to take all of our money. So let me just get out of that way before anyone gets mad. At the same time, it's just like this is this is 2021. This is kind of how it is. And I also think one thing that they're very nefarious about um, and cynically smart about is we are all like ready to spend money yeah. to travel and to do things. So this is the time to do it, right? Like I haven't been back to Disney or my family hasn't been as a whole to Disney World for two years. So, oh, what's what's dropping $100 on this ride, you know? So it's it's very cynical, but and this is kind of the world we live in, so. No, I mean, if what was your option during the pandemic to go to Disney? There was none. What was your option if you if you see a trip to Disney now as being a scarce thing that might come or go depending on how variants are playing out? And you're down there and you've got two days and all it is going to take is $100 out of your wallet to get your family on the ride at the perfect time. I don't think that's a hard decision to make in as a percentage of the overall cost of your vacation. So I think it's something that will tilt towards infrequent visitors. You know, if you live down there, you can just get to the park early and stand in line for as long as you want or try your hand every morning at 7 a.m. trying to get your way into the virtual queue. There are free options. But if you want to bully your way to the front of the line with a little cash, <laughs> Disney's providing you a way to do that. And I, the, the alternative is to buy a VIP tour, which is what, seven hours minimum, $750 per hour. That's a lot of money to get the front of some of these lines. Yeah, this is when like I wish I knew normal people for lack of a better term, because I would love to hear just how people will end up thinking about this. And I'll give you an example. It's similar in concept, but not with the money. I rode on Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, which is one of the marquee rides in the Magic Kingdom um, with, I think it was my daughter and my nephew. And we went through the Fast Pass line because, like I said, I used to know how to game that system um, in a legal way, but according to terms and conditions, but like I was riding all the time. And so we went through that ride and they, the people who have been waiting in a long line, they mix with the Fast Pass people at the end. Like we, you kind of, mm -hmm. you know, you sit on the same car or whatever. And the line was 120 minutes Oof. when we were there. And there was two tween girls who were sitting, you know, behind us or whatever. And I had heard them talking about like, oh, we've been waiting in line for two hours. I wonder how this is going to be, et cetera, et cetera. And when those girls got off the ride, they were like, that was so worth it. Like, I'm so glad I waited the two hours, you know? So I wonder like if for some people, you know, paying to skip that line, like some people are happy to wait in the line and they think it's worth it. I don't, I'm not at a point in my life where waiting two hours for any ride is worth anything. Right. But I think people are going to find value in that. And I, I, I'm, I'm worried 
slash wondering if in some sick way people will enjoy their not sick way, but like people will enjoy their time at Disney more because they have the chance to pay into these things. And, you know, Disney is I mean, they're going to laugh all the way to the bank no matter what. But (laughs) I don't like the idea of uh, having to incrementally shell out money once I've gotten there, you know, separating the price that you pay for something uh, far from the time that you enjoy it, I think has been a good strategy for them historically. Maybe they'll bundle something at, you know, the time of purchase that would help that. I think that's a lot of what they do, right? They want to make you pay way ahead of time. Buy buy the dining plan, you know, pay for your uh, park hoppers, pay for admission. Once you get here, it's all about having a good time. And I think that breaks that model. And I don't think that's going to be a good thing that all a cart portion of it specifically. And, and, And while you were talking, there, I was thinking that the girls in front behind you on the ride were going to be, you know, calling you scabs and uh, high flyers for, you know, cutting line on the fast pass. I was thinking there might be a little bit of some of this. You see people go to the lightning lane that paid, you know, $25 at $34.95. Like, you, you know, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? It's like, it's like how I had to get over, you know, those first couple times I sat in first class. Yeah. I would always kind of hide my head. And, you yeah. know, I'm just wearing Looked my ratty, phone. Yeah, I'm just wearing my ratty t shirt. I'm a little embarrassed. You know, I just kind of, you just, you just kind of learn to accept, you know, this is who you are. Um, and this, this, just, I, I'm, I'm the 1% at Disney. What can I say? <laughs> the go. metaphorical 1%. Own it. Own it, Joe. <laughs> Well, yeah. we did get to go on a couple of new rides. Uh, I know you've been on Flight of Passage a bunch of times. Uh, this was my second time on it. I took the whole family there after being impressed with it the first time. And that really is a ride that is uh, really special. I mean, we'd been to Pandora before a couple of times. We couldn't get on the ride, couldn't secure fast passes. So we just didn't go on it the first time. I went with my, my wife and her. Her mom was with us and she was courageous. She went for it. And that... You can't understate how complicated and amazing that ride is. And I think even to a greater extent, Rise of the Resistance, like you mentioned. Uh, you still impressed with that ride, Flight of Passage? Uh, each time you go there, how often you go on it? Yeah, definitely. I will wait. Uh, depend. Like if I so I when I went in May with my older daughter, we waited for an hour to do that. Probably the longest I've waited in a standby line for a long time. But I really wanted her to experience it. And like you said, yeah, I mean, it's a great point. Like we only had one day at animal kingdom that was our only day at disney we were doing other things down there like kennedy space center and stuff like that so if i had the chance to pay 40 dollars to skip that hour line or 50 dollars, i might have done that with my daughter the two of us yeah um, yeah it's but, like the uh, decision making if you're going to take a, a bus or drive or a flight or drive somewhere rather uh it makes a, it's a different equation when you have four or five people as opposed to just one person so that's a, that's a great point you know yeah. uh, father daughter trip yeah let's go for it let's do that 40 bucks no big deal yeah great point yeah um, and so it is a spectacular ride. The best thing I can say about it is who cares about Avatar? They're making a sequel. Nobody cares. Nobody <laughs> cares about Avatar. But the ride is still such a showstopper. And, uh, you know, because there's no fast pass right now, that means you probably got to walk through the regular standby queue, even if it was a shorter line. And that is one of the best queues that I've ever been through uh, in my life. And it's really indicative of what disney can do when they want to which is create an immersive world an immersive theme that you know it just you i mean you feel like you are in pandora a place that you do not care about um and so <laughs> totally agree 100 percent. my mother-in-law was asking me what's the backstory are we on earth now what is Mohara? <laughs> yeah. like don't worry about it. just have a good time just <laughs> you can go back and look at that later but no i agree the detail there is off the charts yeah so um it, it's, it's an amazing ride and yeah any any anyone who goes to disney world who can handle a thrill ride uh, should definitely tr- try it out 
Well, this next one that was new to me and uh, came probably at the worst time with respect to the pandemic is Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which doesn't sound like much. It is in the old Chinese theater where the great movie ride used to be at Hollywood Studios. They did an incredible, I mean, are they calling this an overlay? They, they made use of an existing building, but it's such an incredible improvement over what used to be there before. What do you think of this ride? Yeah, it's a, it's a great ride. There are, I guess, Disney stands or I don't know, Disney... I don't know what to call them, but there are people who the ride that used to be in there was the great movie ride, which was a perfectly, I really enjoyed the attraction and it was great examples of the animatronics that Disney used to do or can still do, but don't do as much of anymore. But the fact of the matter is like I was that ride, I could not take my kids on that ride. There's this section where you go through and your Sigourney Weaver is an alien and (laughs) You know, I, I, I forgot I'm, about that. Yeah. The I'm guns. Not taking, yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm not taking my six-year-old through this ride. So Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, it's much more kid-friendly. Really, the Disney parks, I, it's weird to say this, but outside of Magic Kingdom, they really need more rides that are good for kids. Okay. And Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway really fits the bill. It uses uh, the trackless system that you'll see in a lot of Disney rides now, which is kind of, you know, I think when we look back. Uh, a decade or two from now, like this trackless system is going to be, it, it was the age of the trackless system, which means that the vehicle that you're sitting in, you don't see the track that it's on. So you're not totally sure at any time where it's going. And you go through this cute story uh, about Mickey and Minnie trying to have a picnic, but of course everything goes wrong. And you, I think you probably got to see the pre-show. They they didn't have it open when I was there. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no, indeed we did. I mean, there were some moments on that uh, in the queue and in the, in the, that theater there at the beginning where you were packed to the gills and worth noting, if you're uncomfortable with this kind of stuff, uh, we went on Kilimanjaro safaris and seeing the evolution of COVID restrictions. I hear they used to have plexiglass up, you know, or some rides were seating every other row. Uh, there's no more plexiglass there, but we sat, uh, we had a group of five and that's more than is comfortable. I think to go across on Kilimanjaro safaris. And so we did three and two, but then someone was assigned to sit next to us as two people and both me and the woman next to us were like looking at each other like why are they packing us in here so tight but it is absolutely a return to normal in terms of density not just there but also at uh, Mickey and Minnie's Runway Railway in that in that pre-show but the pre-show was very good and the trackless versus not trackless I mean the irony of this being a, a railway that turns out to be a trackless ride maybe we're giving away spoilers or whatever my 14 year old was convinced that it was a, it was a track when you're standing there waiting to get on it you see a track and the way they uh, they, they play that was very interesting very well done you know what, uh, what was not a ride that we went on before is one that will go on now. And I, I think, it, like you say, appeals to a broad audience. And that's what that's what Disney does best, I think. Yeah. And it's a good point that they really are at a return to normal in terms of, you know, filling all available space, et cetera, et cetera. I, I joked with you, the only time I'm jealous that uh, your kids are 14 and 16 is when I think about the inability for my kids to get vaccinated. So uh, I'm in no rush. You know, we talk, you and I talk offline all the time. We're in no rush to have our kids grow up, except for for this one small reason. (laughs) Well, it reminded me of uh, the time I went to Fenway with my same son and it was 25% capacity. And a week later, it was 100%. It's it's kind of been that jarring in a sense that like, oh, you know, maybe at one point there going to Disney was a more sparse experience. You can move around the parks more freely. But yeah, it, it, it very much feel like a return to normal in terms of waiting in lines and crowds and things overall. It, you know, maybe there's a window here if you 
are willing to you know, do that controversial thing of pulling your kids out during the during the school week here in the fall because I sense everything that Disney does, cruises and otherwise, are really looking for people as the Delta variant is ramping up. They were trying to ramp up too, and they're just not having that same kind of every day of the week demand that they had in the past. Wait times look really low on weekdays. Are you seeing that too? And people, you're you know you you can pop up the app at any time and look at what the wait times are, and they look they look really low today, for example. Yeah, it is. It is the time to go. I had like a I was thinking of going uh, next week. I probably will not go, but I grabbed I have an annual pass and there's a new attraction, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, which is also in Disneyland Paris. I mean, it's the same attraction as Disneyland Paris, but they have annual pass holder previews. And I was thinking of going down for that. And the wait times are incredibly tempting. I mean, it's like walk on. I mean, Flight of Passage, like I said, I waited for an hour for it, but most people are getting on in like 15, 20 minutes during Ooh. the weekdays right now. Um, and, you know, the numbers are finally starting to come down in Florida. Unfortunately, I think they're going to come down enough that on October 1st, when the 50th anniversary starts, that's when the crowds are going to come back. But if for some reason you have time to go like right now in September um, and you know, remember masks are on indoors and stuff like that. And I know you, Bob, in the notes you've written that when you were outside and it was too crowded, you still put your masks on. I think, uh, you know, now is the time to go. In fact, I bet you won't even see that many crowds. So you won't even feel as bad right now. Yeah, be interesting. I would say if somebody's looking to go, say, on a weekend, uh, three weeks from now, take a look at what the crowds look like on a Saturday. Just download the Disney app, pop up, and look and see what wait times look like, and then compare it to a weekday. If there's a chance you can go on a shoulder weekend, pull a kid out of school one day, or you have a rogue school holiday or something like that, yeah, take a look at that. But yeah, o- overall, I would say great time to go. If if <laughs> I guess what I'm really interested in is, is a weekday in the fall going to be low crowds or because they were not on Labor Day weekend, I would say they were not particularly low crowds, nothing like what I'm seeing on weekdays right now. Yeah. I mean, the real wild card is this 50th anniversary celebration. That first week is definitely going to be packed, but I'm not sure. And and maybe that'll run through, um, you know, the Columbus Day holiday or whatever, but I'm not sure what's going to happen after that. Like, I don't know how quickly demand can bounce back. Just, Disney was supposed to open various resorts and all signs are pointing to uh, reopen various resorts that have been closed for a year and a half. And there are signs that are pointing to those resorts not reopening because the demand's not there or people have canceled. So, um, you know, it's Disney's in this weird when they announced that masks came back, a bunch of people all canceled at once. And it was funny because some people canceled because they did not want to wear masks indoors, <laughs> but some people canceled because Disney bringing the mask back kind of reminded them uh, things aren't kind of aren't that great in Florida right now. So I'm going to wait. So Disney got they cannot win. <laughs> yeah, they got whatever they, they burned the candle at both ends in a negative way. Um, I guess that metaphor is always negative, but, you know, they uh, they lost a lot of demand at that point. So I, I will be interested as well to see. I think, you know, October 1st through like 15th, who knows, but um after October 15th, see what the crowds look like. And um, it might be, you know, it might still be kind of quiet on the weekdays. We'll have to see. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, I know the food and wine festival is still going on. I did want to talk about every, everybody's favorite thing. Well, my favorite thing. What, what did you eat when you were down there? Right. And, uh, Food and wine was going on, but man, the lines for those booths were so long. And I, I was actually tempted, since I was having a hard time getting a reservation at some of our favorite places, to just snack around the world. 
But my family does not do so well with that. And if you add it on these lines on top of it, I mean, the, the, I, I could see the stack here on the world being just the, the greatest thing. You know, you're, it's like uh, going down a lazy river and you're picking grapes off of trees next to you. It's, oh, it's just so wonderful. But if you stood in a line Amazing. for 35 minutes to get, uh, you know, uh, something at, at the Japan Pavilion or whatever it was, that's just not very amenable to our, the way we like to enjoy the parks. So I'm so glad that we made a reservation for a restaurant at the back of the World Showcase. So I'll get into that in a second, but I want to review each of these restaurants because, like I said, it's a return to favorites here. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if you've been to some of these and what you're hearing from other people at these restaurants and what you're hearing about restaurants in general. But I, and this is kind of similar to some vacations I've booked where, you know, I want to book the sure thing and then it, it, it it's always a plot twist and it goes the other way. And if, if there ever was a sure thing, a uh, can't miss for the whole family and us, it, it would be Ohana inside the Polynesian. And we've had a good time there every time. I would rate it 97 points in the past. Just everyone is a good, in a good mood. You truly feel like you're on a vacation within a vacation. It's so fun. It is a all-you-care-to-eat experience. You just sit down and they start bringing great food to you. And you, you, I'm sure, you, Joe, you know the controversy. You know, they changed the menu and it didn't include the famous noodles anymore. And people started printing shirts, you know, Ohana means noodles instead of Ohana means family. People are railing. They're pounding. They're throwing the table on the noodles. Well, they brought the noodles back. But they didn't bring the skewers back, which were the real star of the show. And I thought, well, okay, no skewers. So, th- but they still have meat, right? They have they have beef, chicken, and shrimp. But they're just not putting it, not serving it to you on skewers because of COVID. They just want to deliver it to you at a table on a skillet. Well, no, they aren't doing. I don't think they're cooking them the same way at all. I mean, we were served some of the most inedible beef I had ever come across. I would be concerned about feeding it to an, a, a dog. It it was so chewy. It was just. Just like imagine throwing a bunch of cubes of beef in an oven and letting it go for about half an hour and then pouring some teriyaki sauce on top of it. Our server must have seen that we didn't eat but one piece each. And he's just like, you guys want anything else? It was so disappointing. The quality of the food was so low. There was a, a chef there, a guy in, a, in, a, in you know white chef whites, and I, 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 I'm like, how does this guy have the courage to come out into this dining room wearing that uniform? This food was not good. I don't know if it's a, a matter of, of people or a matter of supplies in that case, but my advice on Ohana is do not return until someone gives you the all clear there. What's your experience with Ohana, and are you hearing this from other people? I haven't been, uh, but I, I'm not surprised. And you forgot the kind of most important thing, which is the price tag. The price has not changed. Everything at Disney, the price hasn't changed. So you're paying the same prices as you were in 2020. Um, but in a lot of cases, like at Ohana, things have changed um, for the worse. So I, I'm, I'm not surprised. I think this is, again, one of those. I don't know if it's a supply chain issue or I do think that there are like concerns for how they keep the food heated or like preparation time. I think Mm -hmm. one of the big things with the noodles, I think they were trying to replace it with a fried rice, which fried rice keeps longer, better. Like, you know, noodles get soggy or start sticking together. You kind of have Mm -hmm. to make them all fresh. They they did that that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so I don't know. They kind of have to figure it out. And man, I feel bad for that chef. You just went out on him, but you know. (laughs) Well, so $55 a person and they start charging you as an adult there. I think it, is it 10? It's 10. Yes. So I mean, so there's an age there where kids are just not eating that much. Uh, So we were three adults, two, you know, uh, like I said, 14 and 16 year old and the bill there with one drink each, uh, three alcoholic drinks for the parents, uh, for the grownups, two, two non-alcoholic drinks for the kids. $45 
$400 with tip. And that is probably the worst value I've ever come across in dining in my life. I ordered the famous back scratcher uh, drink because I got the Lapu Lapu last time uh, the, that comes in the pineapple. The back scratcher didn't even come with a back scratcher, Joe. There was no bamboo back scratcher in the back scratcher. That's how bad things have been cut back in Ohana. Amazing. It's just... <laughs> Just amazing. <laughs> That's a new low. All right, uh, moving on. Skipper Canteen. Have you been there? Yes, I have. Really enjoyed it. So I'm excited to hear how it was this time for you. I, I think it still is the best place in the Magic Kingdom for uh, a lunch. You know, cold AC, interesting menu. Not at all talking about, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers here. This is, they, they, they have paired back the menu. I think they, they started maybe too ambitious. They kind of found a sweet spot there, and then they paired it back a little bit from there. I like these Thai noodles that they have there, that which they still have, which is pretty good. I also like the cruise stew, which is kind of a vegetarian, interesting curry dish. Uh, the menu, though, was cut back, too. My wife really liked the salad that they had there, and you would get like a steak salad, big steak salad. Which just explains we can still do a salad, uh, but we, it's just going to be like a house salad, and then we'll put some steak on top of it. Fine. My wife gets that. And I noticed that she's not, again, not eating any of the, the steak that comes with it. And she asked for it to be done uh, uh, medium rare. And they did that. It looked it looked to be that color, but man, that that steak was chewy. And I I don't want to say that I'm going to Disney to eat steaks. I'm really not. I'm just saying that there's a quality problem with the proteins that they're serving there. So other than that, if you stick to the safe safe menu items, I think you're okay there at Skipper Canteen. But man, watch out for watch out for the beef there. I would love, you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the few. But if they ever did a documentary on like supply chain stuff. <laughs> I would just be fascinated to see because, you know, it does really feel like you you forget that Disney World is like a it's a small city yeah. and they need an infrastructure to get food to like everywhere. And this is not excusing, um, you know, the tough beef or whatever, but it's just I, I, I'd just be fascinated to see what kind of logistical issues they had to uh, deal with. You know, just like I I. I'm still waiting for a documentary on how they pulled off the NBA bubble last year yeah, yeah. at Disney World. I don't think we're ever going to see it, but these kinds of things fascinate me. <laughs> All right. Next one, Via Napoli. This is the pizza restaurant inside the Italian Pavilion at Epcot World Showcase. Always a favorite. Just, you know, everyone enjoys the pizza there. And I'm pleased to report the quality of the pizza is very good. If you can snag a reservation, they close at 7 now, which is absolutely not as late as they opened before. So I had a very hard time getting a reservation there. Probably the hardest reservation I got. The servers there all, all used to be from Italy. You know, it'd be a fun chance to ask where they're from in Italy and experience a, a little bit of the, the culture there. Uh, the server there was somebody who was redeployed from merchandise and had been serving there for a couple months. And uh, my wife ordered a sangria that was served tableside. And this was the second sangria she'd ever prepared tableside. So uh, it was a bit of an adventure. Clearly not a seasoned uh, server there. But, you know, overall, um, I, I guess I'll, I'll take it. You, you can tell the, res- the restaurants are in, in limp mode. You know, half the tables aren't occupied, but the restaurant, they've got people put into all these strange nooks and crannies in the in, in the restaurant. And it's just not a great feeling, but the pizza was good. So I save it. I give Via Napoli uh, an acceptable level of passing in, in the time of COVID. And just pizza at Disney is overpriced, like everything at Disney is overpriced. However, I would I, Via Napoli is the place that I recommend in terms of like sitting down the amount of money you pay per person um, relative to how much you get to eat. You know, Via Napoli is always a winner as pizza generally is. 
Okay, uh, next restaurant, Whispering Canyon Cafe, a new one to me. This is a fun restaurant inside the Wilderness Lodge restaurant. And I always heard this is the place where they do gags. You know, you ask for some more ketchup and they bring you 30 bottles of ketchup and things like that. So I thought it'd be a fun thing to check out because we didn't have anything else in that space. Oh, we ate it. We, we were at Animal Kingdom in the morning and we were, would be going to California Grill later that night. So it was a good chance to check this place out. And it was fun. It was good. Uh, maybe especially on the heels of Ohana, they do these skillets there for breakfast or lunch at lunch. And the, the, the food there was, uh, it was good. It tasted really good. But again, a COVID limitation comes into place. My middle, uh, guy, younger guy, he was crabby because they had on the menu, all you can care to enjoy milkshakes. And thought, oh, a milkshake would hit the spot. And the waitress says, oh, sorry, no milkshakes. Uh, there, there's a part missing and the machine is broken and we can't get the part. And we all say, due to COVID in, in unison. She's like, yep, you guessed it, due to COVID, we can't get a part for the milkshake. So feel the, the milkshake. magic. <laughs> feel <laughs> the magic. Exactly. You said you've been there before. They had some good gags you played. I, I think that place is a, a, a hit. What do you think? Yeah, my kids loved that place. And I'm generally someone who's not very into like the gags or a lot of attention being brought to the table or whatever. But even I had to enjoy it. So the, there's the one gag that you said where if you ask for ketchup, they bring you like a ton of bottles. I'm guessing they're not doing this during COVID, but when we were there, and I assume one day it will go back to this, it's not just that they bring you a bunch of bottles, it's that whichever table recently got all the ketchup bottles dumped on them, they help to bring all... <laughs> so, so I mean, it's like, you know, you talk about shared experiences. It's like, uh, you know, everyone's there having fun, like um, bring dropping off tons of ketchup bottles to each other as a big gag, which, you know, kids, especially my kids under the age of 10, but I'm sure even yours, like these yeah. gags, the kids eat them up. And then oh, I was yeah. telling you that um, at some point, I can't remember if it was my second or third refill of Diet Coke, but they gave me this gigantic stein. It must've been a liter <laughs> of uh, Diet Coke. And oh, I can't, I, I could not paint for you a word picture of the look on my wife's face when I drank that thing, but- uh, <laughs> Oh, you drank it. It's even oh, better. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey. Hey, it's a uh, it's free, Bob. Quote unquote, it's free refills. The the only other overt gag. I mean, the, the, you have to be serving. You have to be competent as a server to employ gags and comedy afterwards. And this is also possible at the fifties primetime cafe in Hollywood Studios. If people haven't been there, you have to be a good server to be able to layer comedy on top of it. So th this is exactly the kind of thing where you need people with experience there. Because if you don't know how to serve food in the first place, you don't know how to serve food with comedy. You, you just be seen as a rude server if you you know throw a bunch of napkins in there and say bombs away you know people are gonna think that's funny <laughs> oh is that what they did I, we didn't get that <laughs> yeah yeah i oh, thought someone else they I, well, we won't give away all the gags check out whispering canyon cafe yeah. i give that one a thumbs up and i and i like i would just add that another benefit of going to whispering canyon cafe is wilderness lodge the resort that it's in is really nice to walk around there are some quiet like places where you can sit along the water um and you know it's Really, we really love visiting that resort. If you're there during Christmas time, it's probably the best tree in Walt Disney World. Um, so, you know, Whispering Canyon, two thumbs up. Absolutely. No, we enjoyed that too. I'd never been there before. Very similar to the Grand Californian at Disneyland. Uh, a little bit more rustic at, in the Walt Disney World interpretation, but the uh, signature scent as you walk in there, that kind of woodsy pine is... Uh, I wish they made a candle for that. I've bought some of those candles. They don't smell like what they're supposed to, so I'm still looking for a good purveyor. If you know of a good one, uh, yeah, hit me up on Slack. But um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, no one sponsored us yet, but yes, uh, we'll, yes. we'll let you know. There you go. All right. Uh, last one here, and we saved the best for last, and it is the California Grill. 
high atop the contemporary, which is largely closed. This is the uh, you know the 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 hotel that was designed back in the day. The monorail goes right through it. It's right next to the Magic Kingdom. You can walk there. It's the greatest thing. Well, the hotel rooms are all being refurbished in a Incredibles overlay, so it's kind of weird. You walk in there and you're walking down like these little corridors to get to the restaurant. There's, the restaurant is still open, thankfully. I'm so glad California Grill is open because it has been one of my favorites. I would have rated this restaurant in the past 100 points across two visits. This was our third visit there. And I was afraid, Joe, that this was going to go in a very bad direction when we first got there. You walk into this restaurant and it is just so beautifully, just perfectly, the, the decor is just gorgeous. It just, I, I am calm when I'm there. My kids, even, they're older now and they remember when they went there before. And they rec- this was the first place that they ever said, oh, this is a special place. We're going to enjoy this meal. We're going to sit up a little straighter. We're going to behave a little bit more tonight. And that's what I love about it. And everybody appreciated it this time. But we're walking in. You see, oh, look, there's the Magic Kingdom over there. Oh, look, there's going to be fireworks here tonight. And it was even a little stormy that evening. Oh, look, there's there's uh, lightning outside. It's just the gor- the view is gorgeous. And the room is gorgeous. They walk us and walk us and walk us through the restaurant, out the back of the restaurant, into these this private, like, conference room <laughs> i'm like where am i am i still in the restaurant and they they wanted to seat us at this table that was like a four top and they kind of hung a fifth spot off of that and not only that it was at the entrance to this this venue this annex room <laughs> off the back of the place and my wife without even asking me, she's like could, could we get a table in the main dining room we were hoping i mean everyone there's gonna ask to see a, a table that has a view of the fireworks right so i didn't want to be that guy like oh you're gonna have a, a seat by the window so i can see the fireworks i just left it to chance and boy leaving it to chance was not the way to go there the next table that we got nice six stop circular i enjoyed that meal so much it was so comforting another return to greatness maybe not a hundred percent but the the server had been there 17 years. He knew the drill. The food was really good once again. The experience of of seeing that that space and being, oh, it was fantastic, Joe. More expensive even than uh, Ohana, but I don't mind it because it delivered. And uh, I guess my piece of advice would be there. Make sure you get a good table. And I last time we stayed at the Contemporary and then ate food. We, we dined at at California Grill, they left a note on our tables saying, thank you for enjoying your vacation at the Contemporary. We hope you enjoy your dinner here at the California Grill. There's a tie-in there. And I, what, I, what I want to raise up for you is that any examples of that, that you've heard of, when you book a certain level at Disney, does that convey to other things being better in your in-parks experience? Is there some magic Mickey hand going on in the background? I swear I experienced it when I was uh, did, doing Disney Cruise Concierge level. I always wondered, are things better here because we're staying concierge? You never know. But have you heard of things like that, that by booking and staying on site, you get these kind of hidden shadow benefits that you don't overtly know about that they're not enumerated anywhere? Have you heard of things like this? I've never heard of an official policy, but I've definitely heard just like the stories you said, um, these kinds of things happening anecdotally. And like, you know, there's a kind of simple to understand version where if it's your birthday or especially one of your kids' birthdays, you can get them a birthday pin and everyone treats them specially um, Mm -hmm. because of that. I think like if I had to guess, hazard a guess as to what's going on, I think that when you tap your magic band um, to pay or whatever, like, or to check in, you know, there's there's got to be some asterisk or note. I, I, I just feel like, you know, that's what would make the most sense. And then that's why they know. Because uh, mm-hmm. the only other option, well, the other thing, it might be just because California Grill is so expensive, they just treat everyone great there. And I wouldn't be surprised just from what I've heard about the management there and the chefs there. Um, it is, you know, the experience uh, at Disney World for dining. So, 
Yeah. Uh, uh, chef, we, uh, a waiter we had last time said he would eat there 10 times for every other uh, restaurant on site. And I wouldn't go that far. I mean, it's expensive, but I appreciate it for the, the quality and the scarcity and the overall experience. Uh, highly recommend a California Grill. Would it would still be 100 points with me? I might give it 97 this time. I, there there might have been some a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, a little more polish on the plate last time in terms of the dishes that we got. But overall, it's still firing on all cylinders. That was very comforting. So, that's it for the dining. Uh, before I let you out of here, I want to talk about some Disney stuff going forward and get your uh, opinion or, or you know, hear what you're hearing about some of these things. You mentioned the Ratatouille opening October 1st. And we, we saw that. That's there. It's ready to go. We did see uh, those uh, DVC people, Disney Vacation Club members, were able to get in and ride that and experience the, the restaurant in there. That is something to look forward to. And uh, I, gosh, I could, I, I could maybe, you know, it's always good to have one thing to go back and, and, and check out anew. Uh, but what have you heard about this Space 2020 restaurant at Apple? It's going to be like a trip to kind of a, a bridge outer space kind of thing. Was it, is it by Mission Space somewhere in uh, Epcot? Where is it going to be? Yeah, it's connected to a Mission Space called Space 220. And I like the conceit is that you are going to be launched 220 miles above the surface of the Earth and are going to be uh, in space, quote unquote, um, air quotes here, as you are dining. And I was just listening to another podcast about it today, and people are saying that they're not sure why everyone's excited about this. I, I, I love the idea, and I am mildly excited about this, but they did bring up a good point, which was we have not seen the menu for this place. So it's weird that people are like super excited about this restaurant without even knowing, like, we don't even know what kind of food is going to be served there. You know, everyone is saying, Oh, I hope they. They better be serving um, astronaut ice cream. But aside from <laughs> aside from that, which, by the way, I don't know if I agree with. But if you like that sort of thing, that's that's great. But aside from that, we have no idea what they're going to be serving there. So it's it's tough to get excited about a restaurant. I I love, you know, I don't I don't mind um, screens with that are like are very well themed. Like have you know on Disney Cruise Line, you see this all the time where it just kind of immerses you in a different world, even though it's just screens. Like, and I I love the ambiance uh, and the idea for the ambiance of this restaurant. But if I don't know what's on the menu, I, I can't get excited about it yet. That's a good point. I mean, you know, you say uh, they better have astronaut ice cream. And I was challenging my family where you know, say, what, what would you open for a fifth Disney park? And you could see how limited our imagination <laughs> Nation is. I mean, there was they were pretty pathetic guesses. How do you know? Uh, sea. Oh, what's kind of there's Sea World already or space? Like, well, they're kind of working on that already. They did that already. So, uh, well, continuing on the space theme though, let's talk about the 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 big one, the Galactic Star Cruiser. This is the the Star Wars themed hotel. It's adjacent to Hollywood Studios. Its own freestanding building, and they're they're really pricing it and packaging it. I think like a cruise, uh, one night, two day experience. You have uh, itinerary. That uh, what what they say it in, in, invites a uh, spontaneous scheduled enjoyment or something like that. But I I don't know. I, I I've often said there are seasickness concerns with a lot of people, and people don't want to go on cruises. And now people maybe don't want to go on cruises because of COVID. Is this the perfect solution at the perfect time? They're going forward with it. It's going to be a thing. I think when does it start in twenty twenty three? When is no, it starting? No, I think I mean they're saying twenty twenty two. They're oh, wow. they they said. In fact, they said summer 2022. Okay. However, like, you know, people, you know, that runs through. I mean, if we're talking about the uh, passage of the earth around the sun, they technically have until September 21st. Um, <laughs> I, I I feel like it should be kind of the perfect bridge, but I do think there are some things working against this. Number one, like 
I consider myself a pretty big Star Wars fan. I mean, I've watched, you know, all of the Clone Wars, which is seven seasons of cartoons on Disney Plus. But I still don't know if that makes it worth $4,500 for two nights uh, for two people. You know, like the pricing is just kind of a bit too far uh, out there. So uh, this is like... As a outside observer, I'm going to be fascinated to see kind of what supply and demand goes for here because it it sounds like a fun experience, even though I'm not like into LARPing or like you know you know live action role playing. That's what that stands for, thank you, or that kind of thing. Uh, you know, it still seems like I could have fun doing it, but I I can't pay that much to have that kind of fun. And it is a um two night cruise technically, but. Leslie and I did the math and really you're checking in at around like two o'clock and you're out by like nine or 10 a.m. So it's less than 48 hours. So, whoa, I didn't consider that at all. I mean, I was thinking that they were going to make this a two, a legitimate two day experience. If you put it in those terms, it really is like a hotel where they let you in at four o'clock and you're out of there next morning by 11. That's, that's no bueno. And and it's not like you can book it for three or four nights at this point, as I understand, right? Everybody's on a one night plan. It's all two nights. I mean, I, to me, it's like, if you're going to be charging that much, I feel like why not, you know, just do two days, uh, have one day off for the cleaning or whatever, and then two days, you know, just have one day off in between. You're charging so much anyway, you're probably still making enough enough money and you can just kind of increase the capacity. But we'll see. We'll see what the market bears. You know, it's, um, I don't know, it's the economy again. We'll see how it goes. They've certainly done their homework, and, and I would think triangulated uh, cruise prices versus the price that people pay for their Disney vacations right now and going after. It, it's limited capacity. It's not a big hotel, right? It's a boutique hotel of sorts, right? So I'm sure they'll be able to get it with an initial crush. I would say, you know, uh, Robin was pretty interested in this. We had her on for another episode, and she was excited about it coming, but, uh, you know, luxury fan and, and a big Star Wars fan. So that's the... The, you know, the intersection there. For myself, I do like the luxury Disney stuff. I've had really good experiences with that. I think it uh, delivers on par with how much you pay for it most of the time. And when they do, I'm happy to pay it. But if it, man, if, it, if that fell short, I would be, well, I'd be crabbier than when I was walking out of Ohana. So they better watch out. I mean, paying $100 to go on a ride is one thing. Pay, paying 40, I mean, really $6,000 for a family of four for two nights that don't go well, like that is something totally different. I mean, for $6,000, you can have, uh, fairly comfortable six night vacation at Disney World with your yeah. family. So um, it, it, it'll it be really interesting to see how it goes. Oh, one more thing I don't have in here in the notes. Uh, Disney Cruise, you getting back to that anytime soon or are you still uh, wait and see? So we were supposed to go to Alaska uh, on Disney Cruise uh, this summer. This <laughs> You'll like this, Bob. This is still the deposit that I made <laughs> right before... <laughs> Chase Ultimate Rewards lost the ability oh, to re- redeem. Gosh, that is going back for Disney at 1.5 cents per point. Wow. You know, I'm still rolling it for it. In fact, uh, I think you'll be happy to hear that, you know, I used Chase Ultimate Rewards to pay for it. And then they canceled my cruise, of course. Um, and so I got an extra 25% credit. So, you know, these Chase Ultimate Rewards are just, the value is just continuing to increase. It's like forever stamps. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think you should inquire about the uh, prospectus about this endeavor. Like, what do they going to start paying some dividends for this money of yours they're holding year over year? You know, you, you, you joke about that, but I'm like, I cannot cancel this cruise 
because I don't know if Disney is going to know how to route the money back to me. Yeah, you know, Chase doesn't work with connections anymore. Uh, <laughs> Only go forward. There's no yeah, path. But yeah, there's, yeah. there's no going back. So I'm going to go on some Disney cruise in one way or another. But um, we were supposed to go on Alaska this summer, but of course, all Alaska cruises got canceled. Um, but it's tentatively scheduled for next summer, next July. And I'm really looking forward to that. And it is actually very freeing that I'm like, uh, I mean, we still have some balance to pay, but since like so much of it has been paid for already, it doesn't hurt as much. Um, and then, like we said, you know, we haven't traveled for so long. We're more willing to pay anyway. So, yeah. uh, you know, kind of all um, snowballs in a very nice way there together. Oh, that's a great spot to end it on. Joe, I, I felt like this was just like catching up with a friend that I really would like to make a priority to talk to after a long time, especially after Disney vacation. And I hope others enjoyed listening to it. Why don't you tell people where you can, where they can find you, uh, both for your content and for your travel planning services. Yeah. So relevant to the what we talked about today, uh, you can find my Disney podcast at Disney Decipher. Just find that anywhere you find podcasts. We kind of go through um, just all the nitty gritty of what you need to know to plan a Disney vacation. Uh, if you are looking to book a Disney vacation, you know, I used to feel bad um, talking about it on Miles and Points podcast, but now that there's no uplift that you can use to pay for Disney, you're basically paying for cash prices at Disney no matter what. So uh, at no extra cost to you from what you would find on Disney World's website, you can uh, book through me as your travel agent. You can email josephchung at travelmation.net for that. I try to give most of my clients a little bit something back. Uh, it just depends on your booking. Um, but happy to do that when I can, especially for miles and points people. And yeah, other than that, uh, on social media at as a Joe flies, you can find me there as well. And, uh, still producing the miles to memories podcast and on there with those jokers having fun every week. Very good. Uh, I'll be sure to put links in the show for, uh, the exact typing of your email address and other contact points. Joe, thank you for coming on the show. I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Have a great day. Yep. Great talk to you. Thank you. Thank you.